may be seated. Amen. Praise our Savior. Psalm 115, verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. God alone is worthy of our allegiance. He alone is worthy of all our obedience. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our affections, our love. Same psalm, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and He does as He pleases. This is a profound statement of our God is in the heavens. He does as He pleases. Statement on God's limitless power. It's a statement on God's complete authority. It's a statement on God's absolute sovereignty. This morning we're going to take some time to ponder, to consider, to look at the absolute wonder, the awe of God's sovereignty. And my prayer this morning for our faith family is that we would echo Psalm 115 verse 8 as that psalm concludes as we see the supremacy, the absolute glory, and the infinite reality of who Christ is, that we would cry out like the psalmist, Bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. That should be our response when we get a glimpse of God's indescribable beauty and goodness and glory, is that we would say, Praise the Lord. They would stand forth and not just sing on Friday morning, but that our hearts would sing every day for Him and just praise Him. And that we would be a living sacrifice. And so let's ponder this morning what it means to have a God in heaven who is all-powerful and He is a happy God who does as He pleases. As we continue our teaching series in Romans chapter 8 a series called Focused, so living a gospel-centered life. So in order for us to live a life that is truly victorious in Christ, so to live that kind of a life that is fruitful and fulfilled and victorious for Christ, we must have our minds focused on God's gospel of grace. And the gospel is the good news. The good news of what? What's the good news? The good news that Jesus came died on the cross, that he was buried, but he was resurrected, and thus conquering death and sin itself, and he's alive today, and he offers forgiveness for anyone that would repent and believe in Jesus alone. And so let's read this text in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30, brief one, and let's read how focusing on this gospel revealed God's glorious sovereignty. And so as we focus on God's absolute sovereignty, as we focus on that truth, we'll see how our hearts will be gripped, and we'll see how our lives will be further transformed, and we can follow Jesus more faithfully. So Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
Amen. Let me give you the primary truth, the main idea that governs this text that, as always, governs the sermon. The main idea is that God displays His glorious sovereignty in redemption. So this text is showing us that our God is glorious and He is sovereign, and God is showing, He's displaying, He's revealing how His glorious sovereignty And he reveals it in redemption. And so that's the main idea, that God displays his glorious sovereignty in redemption. So God is sovereign over all things. Now that's a big word, sovereign, sovereignty. Like, whoa, what exactly does that even mean? It's a big, maybe theological word, and you've heard it before. And maybe you have some thoughts of what you think that means, or some caricatures in your mind of, oh, I don't like that word. Look, the word sovereign, if we just define it, What sovereign means is that having supreme power or authority. That's what the word sovereign means, having supreme power or authority. And so if someone is sovereign or has sovereignty, then that person is the king. That person rules. And so we even talk about sovereign nations and so countries that govern themselves and that they have the power to govern their own people and their own nation. And so we have sovereign nations. We're talking about God being sovereign. So we're talking about the sovereignty of God. We mean that he is a king, that he is a ruler, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he alone decides what happens, that he's in control of all things. As we talk about God's sovereignty, what we mean is that God has everything under control. He knows what he's doing. He's not frustrated. He's not confused. He's not angry. He's perfectly content as the all-powerful sovereign ruling his universe filled by infinite galaxies. Matthew 20, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, 29 gives us a picture of God's sovereignty. Again, Matthew 10, 29 through 30. It says, this is Jesus' words, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And so Jesus is saying that God is in complete control of everything. From birds falling out of the sky, from hair falling off your head. So from the animal world to hair loss. God is in control. He is absolutely sovereign. And so if you're here with with a little more skin than hair on top of your head, God is sovereign over that. And that's good. And this is meant to give us a sense of comfort that our God is all-powerful, all-wise, and in control of everything. And that nothing can happen apart from God. Nothing. Which is why you see in Romans 8, 28, I'll read it again. Well-known verses. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we see here that God is actively working his good plan according to his good purpose, it says. And so what is God's ultimate good purpose? What is God trying to accomplish in creation and redemption? Well, God delights in his own glory. God delights in it. God enjoys what he does, and he does what he enjoys. 
And God loves, He enjoys to display His glory. And the primary way that God displays it is in creation and in redemption. We'll talk about creation today. It's a whole topic in itself. We're talking about specifically how He shows it in redemption. By saving sinners, rebels, corrupted like you and me. When He does that, when he saves and transforms, sanctifies and glorifies sinners like you and me, his infinite wisdom and glory is on display. You see, God is enjoying this. He loves doing it. He loves taking sinners and changing them into saints. He loves it. See, God's happy. God is not like some of us, guys. You know, you work all day, you know, long hours in Abu Dhabi. I mean, all of the guys here, you know this firsthand. Very long hours. And then you get home, right? And then your, your wife wants you to help. And you're like, ah, oh, I just want to sit down and watch TV. Is it just me? Or is, it, or is there someone else in the room too, right? Okay, at least one honest brother here, all right? And you're tired. And then your kids say, Daddy, can we play Candyland? And you're like, no, I can't play one more mindless game that takes no strategy. I can't do it. I just want to sit here, pull out, Battleship, at least that takes some strategy, right? And so sometimes dad can be grumpy, right? Yes. Sometimes dads get frustrated. Sometimes dads are tired. And they don't really want to be around their kids. I'm not saying all the time. I'm saying sometimes. Imagine if you're a child. And you want to go enjoy your father. But dad's too frustrated too grumpy, too angry, is that child going to enjoy his father? No. That child is going to go nowhere near dad, or maybe he will timidly try to approach his angry father in hopes of somehow pleasing him. Just hoping that he can get near his dad, and dad won't be angry, and he'll be tender, and wants to play, wants to spend time with the child. You see, and sometimes we think that's how God is. God is not a frustrated, angry, or grumpy father. God is always in a good mood. Every time that you go near him, he says, come, my child. Come, let's play a mindless game together. I just want to enjoy you. Come sit on my lap. Here, let me hold you. That's our father. We can go near him, we can enjoy him, we can delight in him and in his infinite glory because he is joyous, because he's happy. He's doing what he does. He is infinite. No one made him. He is eternal. And he is doing what he does, displaying his glory in redemption. As we saw earlier in this same chapter, in adopting sinners like us, into his family. We can call him Abba, Father, and draw near to him. And we can do this because God is sovereign. We can do this because God is never frustrated, never angry, never confused. He's always at peace. And because he has joy, he yearns to share that with his children. And so we can approach him And the basis for our ability to approach God and to enjoy Him is because He is sovereign. 
That is the foundation for this. So the main idea, say it again, this has to be drilled into our minds, is that God displays his glorious sovereignty in redemption. So, and so through the power of the gospel itself, God is demonstrating that he is in complete control of everything, and we can trust our Father to give us the Spirit and to transform us into the men and women that he wants us to be. And so today's sermon is gospel-centered life, God's good plan, that God has a good plan. And we're going to see out of this text this morning two primary truths about this good plan. Number one, the plan of redemption. So God's plan is redemption. So the plan of redemption. First truth. Remember Romans 8. Brief review. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, this is an amazing chapter that it shows you the Christian life. Begins with Romans 8 verse 1. And it says, Now there is there therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Hear me. There is now no condemnation. If you are in Christ, you are justified. You are accepted by God. And so your faith began there with being justified. And so your, your life in Christ began with your faith. You see that in Romans 8.1. But the chapter continues. And we read through this chapter, as we've been seeing the last few weeks, that the life of following Jesus continues. It doesn't just stop when you receive Christ. You continue the life of faith. And sometimes there's suffering, it says in Romans 8. Sometimes there's pain. It says that we're weak. Oftentimes are so confused, don't even know what to pray. That was from last week. But in God's absolute mercy, he gives us his spirit, gives us the ability, empowered by his spirit, to kill our sinful and selfish desires, and help us to follow Jesus. This is all Romans did. Just review the last few weeks. But in the middle of this, in the middle of this following Jesus, spirit empowering us, killing our sinful desires, pursuing him in this broken world with we ourselves are broken. We know that God loves us. We know that he is with us. And that brings us to the context of chapter 8, verse 28. So in the middle of this following Christ, where it's not always easy, he says, this is beautiful, and we know for certain that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What a promise. This is just absolutely mind-blowing. All things work together for good. So he takes our disappointments, our frustrations, things that aren't right in our world, and he works them for good. And you're wondering, amen, I love this. But we have to be very specific to read this verse carefully. This is a promise, but it's not for everyone. Remember, I don't write this. I just read it and try to explain it. But God's word is very clear in verse 28 that he says, who works together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. It's particular. It's specific. This is for disciples of Jesus. This promise is not for everyone. And sadly, 
there are probably some people in this room that if you're honest with yourself, you're not following Jesus. You're not. You've not repented of your sins. You have not placed complete trust in Christ alone. And for whatever reason in your mind or in your life, you refuse to submit to Christ. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but this promise does not apply to you. Now it can, and we'll talk more this morning, and you'll see how it can, but I want to talk first to those of us that this promise does apply to. For those who love God, those that have a passion for God's glory, those that have their delights in Jesus, those who what they want desperately is to just know and enjoy God, this promise is for you. And if you're here today, you're wondering, but I have some hard things happening in my life. Well, this promise is for you. And you can rest today. You can rest knowing that God has a plan in whatever you're going through. He loves you. He accepts you. He delights in you. And He is sovereign. He's in complete control of everything. So what does this mean for you in the room? Exhausted parent. Don't raise your hands, because there'll be a lot of hands going up. But I know you're in the room. I know there's a lot of parents in here, a lot of little kids, which means a lot of just tired moms and dads. It's like, I'll talk to my wife sometimes, just like 9 a.m., she's like, I need more coffee. I'm like, it's 9. She's already tired. From what? The night before, where her daughter didn't sleep because she was sick. And the reality is, it's not just our family. I know some of you in this room are, you're so spent emotionally or physically. Here's what you have to know from this text. That our God is gracious to you. He is in control, and He will sustain you. Maybe you have a broken relationship. Maybe there's someone in your life that is just absolutely a shattered relationship. And it's a source of excruciating pain for you. You have to know this morning because our God is sovereign. That our God is greater. And He can heal you. He can heal that relationship. Maybe for you it's your job. Maybe your job is just painful. And you hate it in Abu Dhabi. You're here because you have to be, because you have a job, but in your heart of hearts, you know you don't want to be here. And your job is long and hard and difficult, and you find yourself just angry at whomever, your boss, God, you, your wife, you name it, your husband, you're frustrated because the work situation is just not what you would want it to be. And you don't see how God could ever possibly change that situation. God is stronger. He is sovereign over your boss. He is sovereign over that situation. He can, and in, in his time, he will deliver you. And that might mean changing your heart, not your situation. But maybe, I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you want something. You yearn for something that's good. Something that would be objectively a good thing. And it seems like there are so many people getting in the way. It seems like, man, God wants this for me. I know this is God's will, but there are just people that keep closing doors. And it seems as though people are in the way of, of God's will. Well, let me tell you, that's not possible. 
No human being can thwart God's purposes. No one is stopping God's will. Not possible. God is stronger. No one's going to get in his way. He's going to accomplish that good will that he has for your life. You just trust him. Maybe you've been in a long pattern of habitual sin, a habit or an addiction that just has a grip on your soul. And you think, I don't see how I'm ever going to get out of this. God is greater. He can't, through the power of His Spirit, as you submit to Him in accountability, you absolutely can rise out of the ashes. You can. Because God is stronger and He is sovereign over whatever situation you are going through in your life. No matter how painful, you have to trust that God is working circumstances for His glory and for your good. He is. I can't fully explain how it's all going to work out. No one can. But God is infinitely wise and He is working all your circumstances so that His glory is revealed and so that you can learn to trust Him and reflect His glory in your life. And so God's sovereignty, something that we must focus on. We must, I'm talking about being focused on the gospel. Well, God's sovereignty is what makes the gospel possible. God is in control. And so focusing on the gospel is focusing on God who is in control, who brought it to pass, and he will sustain us, and he will complete it one day. And so we must focus on our God who is in control and not focus on circumstances that can seem impossible. And if you're here, and if you refuse to bend the knee, you refuse to submit yourself and humble yourself and repent of your sins and turn to Jesus with your whole heart, if you're putting up mental or academic or religious or whatever barriers, and you're saying, no, I, I don't believe in this Jesus, then the reality is that you don't have the assurances that I just spoke about. You don't. You know why? Because you don't have a Father in heaven. We saw earlier in Romans 8 that we have the privilege of calling God Father because we're adopted into His family through redemption, through Christ. And so if you don't have Christ, then God's not your Father. And so therefore, you're on your own. You are choosing this morning potentially to say, no, I don't need God. I got this. I can take care of it. I can control my circumstances. I know what I'm doing. I'll make sense of my life. I'll find my joy my own way. And you're literally trying to go at it alone. Stop. Relent from trying to follow, trying to make sense of life on your own. You can't. You weren't made for that. You were made for God. You were made to know Him, to enjoy Him, and to trust His sovereignty, not to exert your own. The whole point of the gospel is God reaching down, reaching down to save us, to do what we could never do, to save us from our sins. Which is why it says that He works all things according to His purpose. The ultimate good, His purpose, is saving sinners 
transforming them, loving them so that His glory is revealed, accomplished through Christ crucified. This is the plan of redemption that He is sovereign over. Let's read the next few verses again, verses 29 through 30. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is a remarkable sentence. It just makes me want to stop and just praise Him. Amazing sentence. He works all things for good. These are the steps that God uses, that He has used and continues to use to save and transform people. This right here, these five key words in these two sentences of God's redemption, this is God's plan. He's giving to us steps one through five. Sequentially, this is how God works. This is how the gospel is applied to our lives individually. The first one, he says, God foreknew. You see it in verse 29. And so God foreknew, past tense. In the Bible, to know someone is not to say, oh, I saw him, or I know the guy from work, I've seen him down the hall, or that's my Facebook friend, I know him, but you never actually met him. That's not what it means here to know, to foreknow. What this refers in the Bible, to know someone is to have relationship. So to know someone is to know them personally, intimately, to have a meaningful relationship. And so when it says here that God foreknew, it speaks about relationship. It says God knew you. And before you were even born, God already had a plan for your life. He had already set you apart from eternity past for relationship. And then the next word is predestined. And so this is describing that before he even created time and space, before he created anything, he loved you. He set his affections on you, and he planned that one day you would hear the gospel and that you would, number three, be called. That's the next word, that you would be called. Now, yes, God is sovereign, and yes, he had foreknown you and predestined you, set you apart. But he also called you in time, in space. There was a day when someone, whether it was your mom and dad or a preacher or a friend or someone, someone told you the good news. Someone told you the gospel. Someone said, you're a sinner, but God loves you. Jesus died for you. He offers you joy and forgiveness. Will you repent and believe? And you heard that, and you heard it, and you ignored it, and you ignored it, and then one day something happened. You can barely even explain it, but on this day you heard it and you believed. God called you in time and in space, and you responded out of your own free will. You chose to respond to God's gospel call. So he called us. And then number four is just justified, the next key word. So foreknew, predestined, called, justified. He declared you righteous. Not your own righteousness, not your own goodness, not mine. Christ's. That's the whole point of Easter. Our sin transferred to Him. His righteousness transferred to us. This great exchange. Declared righteous. This is God's sovereignty. We can't declare ourselves righteous. The judge must do that. And He's good. 
And because Christ paid the price, he can, and he does. He declares us justified, not condemned. Number five, he says glorified. And so one day he's going to complete this. We're going to have glorified, perfect bodies in the new heavens, the new earth, with every tribe, nation, and tongue, worshiping the Lamb who was slain. That is coming. It's coming for us. Living a life of pure glory with no sin, no death, no pain awaits us. So this is what God has done. It says he foreknew, he predestined, he called you, you responded, he justified you, and he will even one day complete it in glorifying you. So God began redemption in eternity past, and he's going to complete it one day in the future, and it will last for eternity. So eternity past, eternity future, beginning to end, alpha and omega, it's God's salvation. Why we read in Psalm 3 of David, describing salvation belongs to you, God. Salvation belongs to God. It's his, and he gives it to us. He shares it with us. So when doubt comes your way, when you, when you wonder, does God really love me? Man, I've messed up so bad. Or whenever someone slanders you, or whenever you're having a hard time, or temptation comes your way, or when depression comes creeping in, or whatever it is, you have to remember that God foreknew you, God predestined you, God called you, God justified you, and has glorified you. He says it in past tense like it already happened because God can see past, present, and future. He sees it all, and he's like, I already see you in the future. It's going to happen. You trust me. Absolute control over all circumstances. And so the world is not spiraling out of control. God's sovereignty reminds us that he has complete control, and this should produce great comfort inside of us. So we must focus on these truths. Now, I know some of you haven't walked out, but maybe you wish you could have because maybe you don't like what I've been talking about in God's sovereignty with salvation. Now, I do want to make a couple of statements about this because there are some who would say, well, Pastor Matthew, what you're describing to me sounds like we're all robots. It would sound to me as though we're just puppets. And God is this grand puppet master in heaven. And we have no free will. We have no say in our salvation. We have no choice. And so are you saying that because God has predestined and called and so forth, all of these amazing words, does that mean that humans have no responsibility? And so if God is the one that chooses, then why even bother sharing the gospel with anyone? So Matthew, you're always talking about making disciples. You're always talking about planting more churches and, and telling others the good news. And so I thought you were evangelistic. I'm so confused this morning. On why are you talking about all of this God's sovereignty stuff as though it's already predetermined? So here's what I want you to understand. This is important. The emphasis in Romans 8 is specifically in these three verses on God's sovereignty. I'm only preaching what is written down. By the way, it's much easier to avoid these passages. A lot of pastors don't want to preach on these verses because it's uncomfortable. And so what you do, you just kind of jump around and pick verses that you're comfortable with that no one's going to get frustrated over, and you don't have to grapple with the hard ones. 
But that's not our church. That's not my conviction. I believe that you have to study the scriptures in context. And if there's a hard verse, okay, there's a hard verse. You tackle it. You don't, you don't go around it and ignore it. Because it's in God's word. And so we have to see, well, what does this mean? God's word here is clearly revealing divine sovereignty. If, if you don't believe that, then you're not reading what we're reading this morning. God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. This is clearly revealed in Romans 8. And yet, there are many passages. We don't have time this morning. Many passages though, that describe the reality that we must respond. Classic is Mark 1, 14, 15. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. So our own master is calling people to repent. Jesus called people, follow me out of your own free will. You must choose to come follow me. So human responsibility is clearly taught in the Bible. We are moral agents. We are not robots. We must make our own decisions. So this is what I'm going to say. I'll describe this. A good word for this is the word mystery. It's a great word. Because my finite mind cannot fully comprehend an infinite mind of God. I can't fully comprehend it. But by faith, I have to believe, because the Bible teaches it, that I responded to God's call. So God called me. God wasn't lost. I was lost. He found me. He loved me. He revealed my sin to me. And by his mercy, I realized that I'm a sinner and I freely repented and placed my trust in him. And so experientially, we must absolutely repent and believe our, our own free will. But it's only possible if God initiates. And I praise God that he does and he is and he does it in this church and across the planet. And God is absolutely sovereign. This is a divine tension. I'm calling it a mystery. I also like the word divine tension. And we must maintain this tension. And we must say, you know what? I can't cross every T or dot every I. And sometimes our theology isn't a perfect little box with the bow and perfectly wrapped together where every loose end is perfectly tied off. It doesn't always work that way. And I'm okay with the tension. Because you know why? My God is bigger than me. And I don't have to fully understand. And there's a lot of complexities with this doctrine. We don't have time to get into all of them. But I'll admit that this is complex. And this is a hard teaching. This is hard for all of us. And so if, if you're grappling with this, and you're not sure what to make of this, I encourage you to keep grappling. Keep searching. Keep reading. But there is a tension here. Don't, don't forget that we are accountable, and yet the Bible does reveal that God has a plan that he is orchestrating, and the plan is redemption. Now, let's look at the second truth, which is the purpose of redemption. What is the purpose? So the plan is redemption, but what is the purpose of redemption? Well, the first half of verse 28, we've read it several times. It says, then we know that God works for those who love him, all things work together for good. All right. This is very well known. 
A lot of people who do not follow Jesus have heard these words before. And those sort of things like, all, all things work out for good. I'm talking about some sort of fate or serendipity or some non-God, non-theistic, non-Christ-centered, non-biblical. And yet they think that somehow, yeah, all things always work out for good. The reality is that that's not true. Because bad things happen. Bad things happen all the time. And so we must define when God says that he works all things for good for those who love God are called according to his purpose. What does God mean? Because when we hear the word good, you know what we think? We think material possessions. We think a really nice sports car or a Lexus or Mercedes or whatever you would like to drive. We think a really hot body or a really hot spouse. Hotness. It's like hotness like dominates our culture today. And it's like good is hotness as defined by whomever, the magazine or the TV show or whatever it might be. And so we define good by comfort, by ease, by convenience, by a fat checking account and great vacations or however. And so we tend to define good by what's easiest and most comfortable. But that's not what this passage is talking about. When God says good, what is he referring to? What is his key? What is the key to God's purpose in redemption? Verse 29 says it. To be conformed to the image of the Son. That is good. To be conformed to the image of Christ. And so God saves us from slavery. He frees us. So he does this. We didn't free ourselves. He freed us. Why? To sanctify us. To adopt us into his family. So that we can then one day be glorified. And he's working all of the circumstances in your life so that you can glorify God the most. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to live a life that reflects his beauty and glory. The ultimate good is not comfort. The ultimate good is God's glory. That is the purpose of his plan, to display his glory, to have a people that reflect it, that will be with him forever. I love this phrase. It says, in order that he, this is Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, the word firstborn does not mean physical birth because, of course, Jesus is eternal. Firstborn refers to the heir of the throne. The firstborn has the authority. He's a ruler. And so don't let people that will want to point this, oh, look, Jesus is uh, uh, born. No, yes, he's a human, but he's also eternal. He's both God and man. Firstborn, he refers to ruling authority. He is the king. He is the first, the preeminent among many brothers. And so we, brothers and sisters who call God Father, we will one day be with him in heaven, and you're going to have people like you and me, resurrected, redeemed, living on a resurrected earth, worshiping a resurrected king. This is amazing. This is incredible, and this is God's plan. This is what he is doing, and all of our circumstances in our lives are working to make us more like Christ. And so if you're going through a hard time, you cannot focus on the circumstances. You can. 
I beg you, don't do it. You'll just get depressed. Focus on the glory of Christ. You focus on Him. And what will happen is He'll change you. He'll conform you. And He will help you to live a life that is displaying His glory. Which is why this promise is only for believers. Because when God says there's all things for good, He's talking about redemption. He's talking about the gospel. And those who believe in Jesus and will one day be with Him in heaven. And so this is not all things for good for comfort of everyone. That's not what it is. It's God's glory. That's our greatest desire. And so His sovereign plan displays it. Now, as we close, I want to give you just a few thoughts. If you can, this morning, think of these. And I would encourage you to write these down. Maybe throughout the week, ponder these. Some takeaways, if you will, on, on to bring this message to a conclusion, on some thoughts that I want you to really meditate on this week. One is, God's plan is good. So God's plan is good. Therefore, trust Him. God's plan is good. Therefore, trust Him. If, if you don't fully understand what's happening in your life today, that's okay. Trust your Father who does know. His sovereignty is meant to give you hope, to encourage you. that He knows what will happen tomorrow. Rest in Him. Second thought for this week is God's plan results in sanctification. So God's plan, we see here, conforms to Christ's image. God's plan results in sanctification. Therefore, walk in a holy direction. God's plan results in you being more like Christ. Therefore, go walk in it this week. Go walk in a holy direction. You can. You're being conformed to the image of the Son. Don't fight the Spirit's sanctifying work. Submit to Him and let Him change you. Third truth to think about this week, and we close. God's plan is to save people from all nations. So God's plan is to save people from all nations. Therefore, engage in the mission. His plan is to save people from all nations. Therefore, go this week and engage in this mission. People are hopelessly lost without Christ. They're hopeless without Christ. Will you be intentional to share your faith this week with those around you? And by the way, God's sovereignty should encourage you and should give you confidence that God promised, if you read how the book ends, that people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be in heaven. And so when you talk to people that you think, oh, they're never going to receive Christ, that's not true. You rebuke that thought because God is sovereign. He's promised that people from every single nationality will be in heaven. Every single one. There will not be one people group that's not represented. So you go with confidence. He is sovereign. He calls. We just have to be faithful to share. And by the way, you go to everyone. You don't worry about God's sovereignty. You let God worry about that. You worry about our responsibility, which is to tell because we love Jesus and we want to because this is what we're made for, for a mission. For his glory. Engage in this mission. Why are we going to plant a church in the next several months? To spread the gospel. To spread the church. 
how do you view living here? Are you glad you're in Abu Dhabi? I hope you are. I really hope that you're glad you live here. It's a privilege to have all the nations here that God sovereignly has brought for us to reach them. It's such a joy, and I love living here. But as we close, I ask you in the room who have never received Christ, will you today believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, pay the penalty for your sins? Is the life today offers you forgiveness, offers you this hope, offers you this assurance. He offers it to you if you will believe. Is God calling you this morning? Are you sensing his call? If you are, run to him. And as a loving father, he'll receive you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are so privileged that we can gather in your name. We are privileged that we can call you father, and savior, and redeemer. And we trust you and your sovereignty. Father, we admit to you that this is so hard for us and we can't even hardly understand how we who are free will moral agents and we who are accountable and we make our own decisions and yet you are sovereign. Father, our minds can't even grapple these thoughts, but we trust you with them because we trust you with our lives, with our eternity. We're so humble that you would love us. Send your son for us. And give us this incredible faith family to follow you together with. I pray for anyone in this room that is grappling with these truths and has never turned to you, that they would today repent and believe, give their lives to you and experience the joy of knowing you. And for those of us that do know you, that we would meditate on how you are in control. And that would fuel us to be more faithful to you. We praise you. And we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.